Father, this morning we just come to you. The author and the finisher of our faith. The perfecter of our faith. I pray, Father, through the ministry of your word today, if somebody doesn't know you today in your house, you would begin a work in that person because you are the author. And all those who know you, Father, I pray their faith may be made a little more perfect, Lord. A little more. Because this is a life from faith unto faith. For you have proclaimed the just shall live by faith. That if we draw back, your soul won't be pleased with us. You have said it is impossible to please God without faith. And your word says faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Therefore, as we hear the word of God today, Father, I pray you will strengthen our faith. You will increase our faith. Speak to us. Let every blindfold fall. Let every deaf ear be opened. Blind eyes see. Hardened hearts melt. Let there be healing and deliverance in thy house, even during the ministry of the word. For it is written, I sent forth my word and healed you of your infirmities. I release your word, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. I'll continue part of what we looked at yesterday, the whole of it. Uh, you will... It's already online and it's on the WhatsApp also for those who are in the church WhatsApp group. And what I didn't finish yesterday, part of it, also we will look today. And today is seeing him who is invisible. One of the introductions, or part of the introduction yesterday for the pastors was primarily the word of God, the word of God, not man, but the word of God divides humankind into three categories. The first general category where all of us once were, and much of mankind is, is called the natural man. The natural man, the man who is born into this world, the natural man, who perceives everything through his five senses. We have primarily five senses. Psychologists have kept on increasing it up to 18 to 22, but let's leave that alone. It's, it's like rudimentary, but basically uh, it's five senses which we have. And it is through these five senses the natural man perceives everything. But scripture says the natural man is spiritually dead, meaning he's separated from God. He has no connection with God. He's separated from God. And because God is a spirit and his realm is a spiritual realm, the natural man is unable to understand anything of the spiritual realm because he just functions with the body and with his soul and his five senses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, scripture says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. It doesn't make sense to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Okay, The natural man is dead in his spirit. And God is a spirit. Therefore, he is not able to receive the things. He may be an incredibly religious man. That's a function of the soul. But he's not able to actually discern God and his kingdom. 
Then there is the other one, the spiritual man, not religious man, the spiritual man. A man who is born again. When he's born again, he's born in the spirit. He was dead in the spirit, but he has been made alive in the spirit in Christ Jesus. Only in Christ Jesus. You see, one of the things I would always recommend, that's why we upload all the messages on the internet, not only for the worldwide church, but also for us, for those who miss. Because you see, it's like opening the Bible and reading a chapter. You understand something from that chapter. But if you read the previous chapter, you understand this chapter a little better. If you read the chapter before that, you will understand. Because the messages in the, in the, in, from this church is like chapters of a book. So if you listen to Wednesday and Sunday, you would understand today better. But we still try to make each message kind of whole in itself, but you will understand it better if you, if you listen to Sunday, previous Sunday's message because you know we were all dead in our spirit. Dead in our spirit. Religion does not make anybody alive. If you, if you, if you remember, on Sunday and yesterday to the pastors too, I said the same thing that do not confuse effects for the real thing. Effects can be manipulated, right? If you take uh, the scent which some ladies use will be like rose or jasmine, you spray it, you smell like a rose though you are not a rose. Okay, so effects can be manipulated. That doesn't mean that is the real thing. Okay, one of the effects of salvation is that you don't go to hell, you go to heaven. That's the effect. You move from darkness into light. That's an effect. A healing may take place in your body. Deliverance may take place from powers of darkness. These are all effects that does not necessarily mean you are saved. Salvation, like I said last Sunday, is a judicial term. A judicial term. It's a term associated with the court, court of heaven, where God, who is absolutely righteous, and his kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness, declares a person righteous in his sight. And unfortunately, for all of mankind, scripture says there is none, no one who is righteous. Absolutely. And religion, the law. Religion is primarily the law. In every religion, there is a law. If you keep the law, you are a righteous person. Okay? That is why dharma and dharmic. Okay? But nobody can keep the law because the nature of the law is that if there are a hundred laws, if you break one, you are a lawbreaker. You can be righteous according to the law only if you can keep all the law. Like I said, the simplest example which I like always is the example of Buddhism. If you know actually what Buddha taught, that's why you have all those monkeys, remember? See, you know? Is there anybody living or dead who has not seen evil? None. Here, is there anybody who has not heard evil? It's not talking about talking. Forget that. Hearing. Speak no. Buddhism itself condemns every Buddhist to an eternity without God. Because it's impossible. That's why when you have a religion which does not know God, and you know this is truth, because what Buddhism actually says is true. So you have to have a way out. And the way out is trans 
migration of souls. You die and according to your karma, your work, you go into another body, you come back, try to get better and better and better and better and maybe a thousand lifetime, ten million lifetime, hoping one day you come to a life where you see no evil, hear no evil. But it's a myth, it never happens. It doesn't happen. That's why you need to understand what karma is and why religious people who are not able to understand God has to have a way out because everybody is caught in this dead end. They all understand the law. Nobody can. Nobody can. So you need a way out. So they made a hole in their theory and said you come back again and try. But the the, the fallacy of that theory is this. If I had a previous birth, then in this birth, at least I need to know my mistake so that I don't repeat it. But I can't remember nothing. So I am contempt to repeat the same things, if not more. So you are caught in a trap. Therefore, it is logically proved wrong. So therefore, understand, it is when God, Scripture says, there is a righteousness that is apart from the law which is available by faith in Christ Jesus. Because you have to see sin like this as an entity, not sinner, sin. We were born in sin because of Adam and Eve, therefore we sin. So you don't have to do anything to do anybody to sin, they will automatically sin because that's our nature. So God took Christ and put sin in him, on him, and judged all who believe in him. And then said, I take his righteousness and put it upon you. That's the righteousness that comes by faith. And faith alone in Jesus. That is the beginning of salvation. That is shut to the religious man. He's still struggling. He's still struggling. He's still trying to earn some good points with God by doing good and doing good and doing good and doing good. And he's frustrated. While the man who's born of God and he's imputed with the righteousness of Christ is struggling with his sin, but he's not struggling with his righteousness because that is a natural process. Earlier sin was his natural process. Now righteousness becomes his natural process because inside the person has changed. That's salvation. So if you don't understand salvation, we will get condemned under the condemnation that comes from the law or religion. So the spiritual man, as opposed to the natural man, he was made alive in Christ Jesus by the Spirit of God. Romans 8.11 says, But the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So it's a supernatural work of God. It's got nothing to do with man. All the man did was believe. And God did a work in him. That's the beginning. Then there is his third category, which is basically Christians, okay? Uh, Those who have believed. They are called carnal believers in the Bible. He's born again, but reacts primarily to his old nature. And his mind, he really, really struggles in the mind. In Romans 8 and verse 7, scripture says, the carnal mind is in enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed it can be. The spiritual man has peace with God. Because he is dead to the world. The natural man has peace with the world and is dead with God. So God doesn't bother him. And the world doesn't affect him. 
Because he has his peace with the world. The carnal man is struggling with God. Because he goes to God, he feels, oh no. He goes to the world, he says, oh no. Why? That's his nature. The natural man is alive in the soul, flesh, but he's dead in the spirit. The spiritual man is dead to the flesh and alive unto God. The carnal man tries to live both ways. And much, if not most, of the new covenant and the old covenant is written to the carnal believer. Because he is the one in danger of backsliding into perdition. The Bible is not written to the unbeliever. To the unbeliever, God said, go, you, you go talk to them. And when he comes in, give him the Bible. Because the Bible, people read the Bible and get saved. That's a supernatural work. But that was never God's primary plan. Never God's primary plan. His primary plan, you go be my witness. And when they come in and they're saved, give them the book. And the book will become life for them. In Hebrews 10, verse 38 and 39, God says, My right, the just, first you have to be justified by God, declared righteous. Once you have been declared righteous, it's because of faith. The just shall live by faith, faith unto faith. If anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition. Meaning he says the possibility that you can draw back into perdition. The, the natural man is not afraid of this. Because he has no clue what is to draw back into perdition. Because he's already looking at perdition without realizing it. He's already booked his ticket. It's the carnal man who is in danger of Going backward, backward. Like I said yesterday to the pastors, the kingdom of God is like this. It's not like this. Though we say earth is flat when it is not flat, the kingdom of God is also not flat. It is like this. Meaning if you're not going up, you're going down. If you're not going up, you're going down. Because the call from the kingdom of God is always come up hither, come up hither, come up hither. It's never say that you can stay where you want. Because there is danger. So if we put our flesh on the cross, the old man, then by faith, Christ will be on the throne. On the other hand, if we put our flesh on the throne, then knowingly or unknowingly, we put Christ back on the cross. And that is a judgment pronounced in the book of Hebrews. So this morning, we shall move from the carnal to the spiritual. Okay, There are three kinds of people in every church. One is church, the natural man trying to look inside. From outside the kingdom, he's trying to look into the kingdom of God, but there is a wall. He cannot see. So he tries to reason something that is spiritual, which is natural senses. He's entertained, he likes it, because reasonable men also love to hear theological arguments. He's entertained, he's excited, but the fact is that he cannot see. That's a natural man. Then there's the spiritual man who's taking in the word and the word is going in. If there is conviction, he's cleaning it out and the word is working in him because the word of God has the power to work in those who believe. Then there is this carnal man. He is sitting like at the edge. Okay. So when the word comes, he tries to escape. Don't try to escape. I'll catch you. 
Romans 12 verse 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I hope that's how you came. Next verse is what I want you to look at. Do not be conformed to this world. This world, when he's talking, it's not talking about earth. It's talking about the world system in which we live, which is based on certain fundamental principles how this world goes. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. The kingdom of God operates according to his will. That's why we pray thy kingdom come, thy will. But to understand that will, there has to be a transformation by the renew. Renew means to make new. The mind we had was an old mind which functioned according to the ways of the world in which we are born and we grew up. But we have to die to that ways of the world and have our mind slowly through the word of God start functioning in the ways God's kingdom works. Let me give you an illustration, okay? Our illustrations are all original, not patented, but original. Okay? A baby's eyes may be wide open, small babies at the back. He, she looks and looks. Can he see? Yes. Does he perceive anything? No. One of the primary reasons a baby doesn't perceive anything is because there is no language there. There's no word there. Language, now you are able, you're all looking at me, and some of the little ones who come on Wednesday fall asleep because they don't have language. They don't have language. So I don't blame them. Only try to keep them awake and focus so that one day when they have language, at least they have the discipline of focus. Because you don't need language for focus. All those people who have language here doesn't have focus. Okay? So don't think I have great language, you have focus. No, these are all different disciplines. Okay? So if you don't have language, you don't understand anything. You don't understand anything. That's why nobody from my church in all these years has ever come with me for a Nepali meeting. Because you don't have a language. Language. You don't have language. Though I believe sometimes I preach better in Nepali than in, than in even English. It would make no meaning to. They will always say, Pastor was very excited. But I didn't understand what you were saying. You need language to understand. If there is no language, there is no meaning. There is no meaning, there is no significance. Okay? That is why none of us have memories of when you were one year old. Do you remember what you did in six months old? Eight months? Nine months? One year? Nobody has. No memories. Because there was no. Because to have meaning, significance, what do we need? Language. What is language composed of? Words. In the beginning was the word. If you do not have the word in you, this universe has no significance for you. You will not understand God and his creation. Because significance and meaning comes with the entry of the word into your life. Your eyes are open. You see, you perceive the kingdom of God and your entire life changes. Because till then, you were caught with the significance which was false, created by this world. Understand that. But this child, as the child is growing and hearing, and listening to the words of the parents, little by little, meaning and significance is coming in. 
and the world around which he pursues with his five senses starts taking shape. Ultimately, every person is what he or she is in their mind. Remember the message? Whoever has your mind, has you. Where your mind goes today, tomorrow your body will go. So all of us are a construct of certain ideas. And those ideas govern us. And that's how we view world. That's how we view the life. And that's how we react in circumstances. The Bible is an unbelievably unique book. It may use the same language. But it does not relate to the same meaning. Bible, we read the Bible in English, right? The same language. But when you read, the meaning is not the same if you are born again. It has opened your eyes to a realm which is invisible to the naked eye. It's a realm that is only open to the spiritual man. That's why the natural man and also the carnal man struggles with this text. The natural man struggles with this text or he doesn't struggle because he reads and he understands according to his natural senses. So it doesn't bother him. The carnal man struggles because he has tasted a little of the kingdom and this frightens him. So the carnal man, when he reads this, all he sees is judgment. Are you a judgment? Are you? That's why they have this vanity mirror, Psalm 23. Oh, Lord is my shepherd. That little mirror you carry in your purse. No, Lord is my shepherd. He can't read the whole Bible. Because the Bible is an incredible book. It opens, when the Bible opens... Even if the natural man had some reason, some sense, it is an unbelievable opening. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and you are stuck there. If there is a beginning for all that I see, and before the beginning there was a God and he created, Lord, I want to know you. If you were there before the beginning and you created everything, then my life has significance only if I know you. That's how the Bible begins. It's Opening text itself takes us to a completely different dimension. Which you cannot perceive with your natural senses. The last words of this book, primarily last what one, last is of course grace, but the last words of this book is, He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so come Lord Jesus. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And at the end, he said, I'm coming back. And the one who has eyes has opened to that realm and has become a spiritual man is able to respond, yes, Lord, come back. The other man says, oh my God, are you coming back? What is this? Do you realize this book? Do you realize this book? What this book means? That's why this is a book of life. These words are absolutely different. Because this is about a different realm, a different dimension altogether. See, we've been looking over the weeks at the, the three realms. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of man, and the kingdom of darkness. The problem is the kingdom of darkness is there also. 
and it controls the air or the atmosphere. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, if I'm right, scripture says, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. What has he blinded? Minds. How do we perceive reality? Through our mind. And if a mind is blinded, mind is blinded, okay, that's what's happening. You see, that's what's happening if you, I mean, not the children, the older ones all know. Have you noticed everywhere they have started controlling the sources through which we get our information? Google has started, Twitter has started, uh, YouTube. First, what did they do? They made us depend. Dependent on these things, isolated us from the normal modes of transform, uh, transfer of information, which was father, mother, teacher. They took us out of it all. And your teachers taught you to do that. They taught you little and said, go do a project, check the internet, print it out and bring it. So they made you dependent upon a system. They made internet so cheap, it's cheaper than most Necessities we need for life. They made phones cheap. They hooked you onto it. They controlled us in a way that our information came from them. And we were hooked to the information. Like 50% of the American population gets their information. Not anymore from the radio or the TV, but from Facebook. And then they started censoring the information. So the information you receive is tilted in such a way, the way they want you to think. And what happens? Your minds are blinded. Are blinded. People don't realize minds are blinded. Lit. That's why I said, this will not go. And if this goes, better sure, this is here. Because that's one place they cannot take it away from. One by one by one by one by one, they are controlling every source by which we receive our information. And the God of the world, this unseen realm, the demonic forces, they don't see, the natural man doesn't see, the natural man thinks he is in control, but he doesn't realize he is being controlled by somebody else. And he is just a puppet. Like a puppet, this fellow is sitting at the back and pulling and changing circumstances and he's just moving accordingly. He thinks I am in control, my money is in control, my health is in control without realizing he's just a puppet. The puppeteer is somewhere behind, he's called the God of this age. He has blinded the minds of people. Salvation is the beginning of freedom, of liberty. You heard yesterday, if the spirit of the Lord, his spirit is the Lord, there is liberty. And what these people do is blind the eyes of the people. When your mind is blinded, the reality you perceive is completely in the hands of those who blind you. Because every information you and I receive has to be processed in the mind. In the mind. So God says, First, please, surrender your body. Don't run around the internet. You don't, today, you know, body is also a term which is metaphysical. Meaning, you don't have to move your body, but your body can move over the internet from the polar ice to Amazon basin. Everywhere you can move around. Your body, you're imagining your all, and now they have the 3D and 4D and all, every dimension possible you can move. God says, sit down. Offer your bodies 
as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Come under the teaching of the Holy Spirit through the word. Renew your mind. Why? Because into this mind came in two things called virus of the world and the virus of the flesh. And he started an antivirus program of cleansing it. Called the eternal word. He's cleansing our mind and renewing our mind. That's how the word of God does. Scripture says, by the washing of the water, by the word, the word of God cleanses our mind and it renews in our mind so that we take an idea on which we operated, which we received from the world, take it out, replace it with the word of God. Take it out, replace it. Slowly your thinking changes. You start to think like God. That's how God thinks. That's why scripture says, You have the mind of Christ Jesus. Okay? Because question is, how do we see? Everything is connected with sight. Sight in the sense, not in the eyes. When the Bible uses the term eye and sight, it is talking about how we perceive. All the scientists sitting over here, Pastor Vijay and all, all of them, if they were to tell you, what is seeing? What is sight? What is seeing? It is actually the work of light. It's actually the work of light. The light reflects back, goes into your eyes, and it does one jadu over there, therefore you perceive. Where there is no light, there is no vision. So, light is the one that brings vision. That's why Bible uses metaphors like light and darkness. And the warped man, the warped carnal man in, in the old ages took light and darkness and made it into white and black and condemned the black man. God never said black and white. He said light and darkness. And we still carry that prejudices in our inner soul that if somebody is a little dark skinned, we carry prejudice, prejudice because that is the warped nature of the fallen man. God didn't say that. God said light. And darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. There is no entity called darkness. Darkness means there is no light present. Understand this. So that these prejudices, you look into your minds and your hearts and you will realize, why do I react with certain people this certain way? It's because of the old way of thinking. Get rid of those thoughts. Get rid of those thinking. So Bible uses terms of light and darkness. So even if this room is flooded with light, if my eyes are damaged, my retina, my cornea, my nerve cells, optical nerves, all are damaged, even if this room is flooded with light, I don't see. I don't see. So there is a spiritual realm. One is God's, which is called light. The other is called darkness. And the natural man is blinded to both. He doesn't realize the darkness is controlling him. And he does not know light because his eyes don't function. Spiritual eyes don't function. Even those who serve the devil. There are a lot of people in the natural realm, religious realm who actually serve the devil. They are his servants. They serve him in darkness. They do all kind of occult. They get power from him and he gives them certain gifts in return. But the problem is even they have been deceived by darkness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself as what? 
Satan never comes as an angel of light to his servants. To his servants, he always comes an angel of light. I've heard and have met people who serve him, and every one of them think Lucifer is the real God, and when they die, he's going to make them into a prince. That's what they believe. That's why you have all this Netflix, all these new things called Masters of the Universe. Where do, you, where do you get this master of the universe from? That's exactly what he has told his servants. All of you will end up as masters. And Jesus Christ is only one among the masters. You want to have a rude awakening. So there is natural light. Okay, understand. This fellow can do anything. Only God's people, when their eyes are open, are able to distinguish. There is natural light and there is, I am trying to explain to the young ones and the older ones through examples. Okay? There is natural light. If you go out, there is natural light. When you come in, you have artificial light. This whole world system is an artificial construct of the enemy using natural men who were deceived. This whole world Whatever is real will last. This is not real. This world is passing away. This whole, not earth, don't mistake world and earth. The earth was created by God. The world was framed by natural men who were deceived by the devil. It is artificial. It's not real. One of the temptations of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, scripture says, was this. Yes. Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. Of this world in a moment. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. So the devil showed this world system which he has made using natural men and their glory, and he's trying to get Jesus to serve him. Saying, I can give it to you. I can give it to you. All you have to do is serve me. So it shows us the origin and the construct and the builder behind this world as opposed to earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But the world was not built by God. It was built by man, the systems on which we live. Some good, some bad. Living in this world is actually living in spiritual darkness. That's why salvation is put in terms of light and darkness as an opening of eyes. In Acts chapter 26, Paul will tell the king, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now sent you. This is what God told him. To open their eyes. Salvation, the first effect of salvation is an opening of your eyes. You see what you never saw before. To turn them from darkness to light. Now, who in the world, if you are not saved, when you are sitting here, would say, I'm not sitting in darkness. No, I'm not sitting in darkness. I'm not sitting in darkness. I can see, I can understand, I can perceive, I can read. I've got an education, but scripture says that's a construct. It's darkness. From darkness to light, from the Power of Satan which kept you in darkness and blinded your eyes. God opens your eyes, turns you to light, 
and turns you to God. That's the beginning of salvation. To a blind man, that is a man born blind, you can describe everything of this world, yet he cannot perceive. Because that is not his reality. Yet if his eyes were opened and progressively opened, after some time you don't have to explain much things to him. Imagine a man who was born blind, man or woman born blind. Let's say Hepsiva was born blind. You know, you will have to explain to her what this is. You'll have to say, Hepsiva, feel. Feel, okay. What is this? Oh, that is the screen. And this, that is the back. And what is this? That's a button. What happens? Oh, the, the screen will come on. And what happens? Well, if you put your finger and your code is there, it will open. And how do you? You see, you have to explain. Doesn't matter how much you explain, her reality of the phone and yours is different. Because you can see. She can't. Are you getting the picture? If you're born blind... If you're born blind, your reality is different. And you explain to him what you see, they cannot perceive it. We were all born blind to the spiritual realm. Then when you get saved and you see, and when you are saved and you go and try explaining the kingdom of God to somebody who has not seen, it's, it's not possible. They don't understand it. Because they have to experience what you have experienced to understand what you understand. Because where do you get vision from? From light. Where there is no light, there is no vision. That's how Jesus introduces himself. One of his introductions in John chapter 8 and verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the... Interesting. Have you ever thought when you read these things, do you stop and think for a minute and compare him with all the others who came before and after him? I'm talking about leaders, religious leaders. He says, I am the light of the world. He doesn't say, I am the eyes of the world. All the others, practically in other words, are saying, I am the eyes of the world, so I will show you how to go. He says, no, I'm not even showing you how to go. He says, I am the light. If I am not there, you don't see. I can teach you from morning till evening, this is the way to go. But if I am not your light, you will not know where to go. He doesn't say, I am your eyes. He says, I am the light. Because where there is no light, there is no vision. Because the reason we see is because if all the, the sun were to go, total eclipse, the power were to go, we will be sitting in darkness. Though our eyes are fantastic, we see nothing because there is no light. What did Jesus say? I am the light. He didn't say anything about the eyes. I am the eyes. He says, I am the light. Meaning, without me, you won't see. You won't see. So don't be too hard on people who don't see. Nothing is wrong with their eyes. They just don't have the light. So salvation... It's completely, last time we looked at salvation in terms of righteousness. Today we are looking at salvation in terms of light. So when I am born again by the Spirit, Scripture says, by the Spirit, and my spiritual eyes are open, 
most familiar example. Jesus answered and said to him, this is Nicodemus, the great theologian, full of theory, full of religion, full of the law. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot, he cannot see. What? The world? Your books? Yourself in the mirror? No, he says, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is a spiritual entity. You cannot see. And how do you, Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? Don't laugh at him. Because he's talking as a natural man with his natural senses. He says, you're talking about born. As far as I'm concerned, born is an experience in the natural realm is you come from your mother's womb. Sir, I am this many years old. I am so big. How do I get born again? Jesus is talking something that is spiritual and he's receiving it in the natural. He says, how is this possible? What does Jesus say? Assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Because to enter anything, you need to see. You need to see. If I don't see the door, how do I come in? I cannot enter. You cannot see. You cannot enter. So a natural man with all his incredible theological knowledge and training of God's written word because he's spiritually blind is not able to see. That's why Bible talks about him who came in the night and left in the night because the entire gospel according to John is in terms of light and darkness. Nicodemus came in the night to the light of the world. Because he did not receive him, he went out back into the darkness. Because if Jesus is not the light of your life, then you walk in darkness all the days of your life. Though you may be incredibly successful in the world, you're still living in darkness. Because he said, I am the light. So when we are born again, the first act of God by the Spirit, we don't see very clearly. That's why there are these so many, unlike other healings, there are so many healings of blind people recorded in Jesus' ministries to show us the difference between blindness and sight because these are spiritual metaphors using physical examples. So there is a blind man who is healed and Jesus touched him and said, do you see? He saw a little. He said, I see men like trees walking. How do I see? I see men, but how do they look like? Trees. Okay, that's how a new, born again, little grown person in the spirit sees the Bible and sees God's reality. Did you read your Bible? Yes, I read Genesis. He cannot pinpoint to the verses that God has spoken to him. He re-sees the Bible like trees without seeing the individual specifics from which God speaks. But that's good. Better see a tree than see nothing. Because one day, Jesus will touch you again and again and again and again and your clarity, your vision starts getting better and better and better. So the question is this, when you come out of darkness into light, have you tried that? First to try that, you have to wake up in the morning. You are in an absolutely dark room and you woke up late, it's 10 o'clock. Curtains were drawn. Everything was dark and you thought, ah, I can sleep a little more. Then you looked, oh my gosh, it's 10. And you pull the curtains. When the light comes in, it hurts your eyes. That's why the light of God's word hurts us. Because we are not used to that. We were used to living in darkness. 
The word of God is light. And when the light comes in, it hurts our eyes because our eyes were used to darkness. That's why God reveals his truth progressively because if you were to show the light as he is, we would be blinded. Get that very, very clearly. Okay? Let me get back to that again, okay? Because we will confuse as old covenantal people the light being outside. The light is not outside. Light is inside. That's why the old covenant people could not see what we are able to see. For them, the light was outside. For us, the light is inside. John chapter 1, gospel according to John. In him was, in him was, and that life, light of him. His life, was light. So imagine, when I am born again in my spirit, I am born again of the spirit of God. Who comes in? Jesus. Whose life comes in? The life of Jesus becomes my light. His life is light. His very life, I start seeing things differently. Now another example. Think you go into a room or let's say this room. Eclipse, no lights, lights have gone. If you try to walk in the darkness, you will always stumble and fall. Right? Always. The better the light, the better you can walk. The better the light, the better you can walk. Why do believers stumble and fall? It's because of the lack of light. In their life. I'm not saying light alone is enough. You need also the power to walk. That we'll get back later. Okay. The entire world, which is part of the kingdom of darkness, is controlled by powers of darkness. Let me explain. Our young people will understand. Older also will understand. Go to a movie theater. What do they do first? Switch off the lights. The more the lights go off, the better you see what I want you to see. Right? What do they do in the movie theater? Oh, you will say, boy, it was so great. IMAX sound. What did they do first? Put off the light. As soon as they put off the light and they beamed this on the screen, they got your eyes. They controlled what you saw. And to keep the control, they have to add entertainment and masala and trees and dancing and all that. But the whole idea is to control your vision. Think, think children, think. Don't get excited by the world because you don't know what the world does to you. And for the next two or three hours, they give you an alternate reality. Is it real? No. But if the movie is good, you have forgotten all the issues of life. Right? You are sitting there at the edge of your seat and to alternately moving like this according. See, they not only control your eyes, they control your movements. Do you see what's happening? 
That's exactly what the world does to man. And that's how the devil controls. This world is not the reality. The reality is the spiritual realm that overlays this world. One day people will wake up to the reality, either with God or either in the darkness. That is the reality. What does he do? He controls by putting off the light, gets you glued onto this world, and you are so excited by the world, you have forgotten the actual reality. The actual reality is there is a day declared by God. There is a time appointed by God when you die. And you wake up to the reality which is forever and ever and ever. That's when reality begins. This is not a reality. This is a drama. This is a movie. It will cease. Then light will go. And suddenly some red lights and this thing comes. What is? Exit. Suddenly one day in life, red light exit. When you exit, where do you go? Hebrews 9. In verse 27, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this is not migration. Judgment. How will you be judged? As how you walked in the light or in the darkness. Wake up. That is why to escape this reality for people, God says in verse 28, what does he say? Next verse. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. That's the whole purpose of salvation. Are we getting it? It's a light and sound show today. Okay, listen carefully. Another case scenario, okay? You go to a theater. Don't, you don't have to go to theater. You have come here. Okay, you have come here. Now, why, technically, why is the, call it a stage. Why is the stage less lighted than where you are sitting? If you look where you are sitting, all the lights are on. And all the windows are open. Here the windows are all shut. And only one light for me. Why? So that you can see this better. Right? On the other hand, let us get two floodlights here. Okay? And put it on massive and focus it on the screen. Can you see it clearly? Can you see? No. Why? Because the light has blinded. This is how Jesus says. John 17 verse 15 to 18. I do not pray you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Yeah. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Let me explain to you what it means. Jesus is the light of the world. Okay, And the world has artificial light. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, you are not of the world. Set you apart, sanctify you by the word, and I am sending you to the world. How do we go into the world? If your heart is full of the light of God, then the light of the world is dim. You don't see. It doesn't affect you. You can project all this over here. All I have to do is 
dim without even touching this is to focus even more bright light on it. So question God is saying, if Christ is in the center of your light and he's burning in you like a floodlight, all the light of the world will have no effect on you because you are not of the world. And the light in you is greater than the light in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. world has no effect. We are not of the world, but we are actually sent into the world. And if the world has an incredible effect on you, it's because the light outside is more powerful than the light inside. Because you are still worshipping infant Jesus. We are not of this world. We were sent into this world. How are we sent into this world? Two ways. First in John 20, 21. Jesus said, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also sent you. And the next word says, he breathed upon them. Born of the Spirit. And then, what we read in John 17 and 17. What is that? Not, okay. Not 17. It was 17. By the Word. Okay. How does He send us? Born of the Spirit and born of the Word. We have the light inside. We have the power inside. How we are sent. Get these theories so that practically you can work. The question is, Old Testament was Psalm 119 and verse 105. Your word, your word is a lamp unto my path. It's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Where was the light? It was outside. It was outside. In the new covenant, the light is not outside. The light is inside. Old covenant, light was outside. New covenant, light is John chapter 6 and verse 63. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light unto my path. When it comes to John chapter 6, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are. In the old covenant, the word was light, which was outside. In the new covenant, word is life. Because in him was life and the life was the light of men. So what does the word of God do? Unlike the Old Testament, the New Testament, it feeds the life in me. The more I'm able to digest the word, more Christ grows in me. The more I see clearly. It is internal, it is not external. In the Old Testament, people read and they tried to keep the law. In the New Covenant, it's not that. It is the life of Christ. It's not the keeping of the law. That's why Jesus said, Lord, sanctify them, separate them. In John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the act of, not act of making you holy. It's the act of separating you. What is he separating us from? Separating us from the world. Because the world is covered in darkness. The spirit and the word separates us from the world because the world is darkness. That's why the biggest stumbling block to the gospel of light It's not the natural man or the spiritual man. It is the carnal Christian. Because he is neither in the light nor in the darkness. Where is he? He is in the twilight zone. And therefore his life has no power to convict the natural man. Because Jesus said, in him was life 
and that life was the light of man and now when he gets into us he says you are the light of the world but i am not in the light i am somewhere in the middle between light and darkness so the natural man is not convicted because god did not send a book into the world he sent people into the world to convict the world he said when my spirit comes you shall be my you shall be my witnesses and the greatest danger to the gospel is not even the enemy it is the carnal christian how did the enemy compromise the church how did he see like i said earlier we know light and light actually has scientifically it has so many elements in light called photons and all is there any element in darkness Darkness is absence of light. But imagine darkness also was like light. It has elements. So what can we do? We can mix light and darkness. Right? But you cannot mix because darkness doesn't have any elements. So let us think in terms of black coffee in a transparent jar and milk in a transparent jar. You call black coffee and you add milk. What do you get? Is the color the same? Is it white? Is it black? It's brown. That's what the devil did. He very quietly didn't do anything with the church. He just brought the world in. That's all he did. He brought the world in. So what is the church now? A mixture. He quietly added the world into the church. And before you can know, people lost sight of what? The light looked like. You know how the first church was? Incredibly full of the light of God. And anything of darkness, even if somebody thought in their mind, God was so zealous about his life, Ananas and Sapphira without anybody knowing, was trying to do a good deed in darkness. They were judged and the dead bodies were taken out. Because God was so zealous for his light. That was the first church. Little by little by little by little, they kept adding the world. As the world kept on being added, finally, how does the church look like? God says in Revelation 3, verses 15 to 18, this is what God says. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. White garments, you may be clothed, the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Look at what the church has become. It becomes exactly like the world. And God says, you have only one choice. Either get hot or I spew you out. This is exactly what happened with Israel. God picked Israel that was very weak. And he said, I did not pick you because you are smart. I picked you because you were weak. And I'm going to make you a sign and a wonder to this world. You will be that city on the hill. You are going to be a signpost to all the nations. Because your God is different from all the other gods. And if you obey my voice, you walk with me, the whole world will want to know me. Instead, what did Israel do? They went after the world and the other nations. God sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, warning them, warning them, warning them, warning them. They didn't listen. So finally, God says, you want to be like Babylon? Good. Go to Babylon. 
it allowed Babylon to capture them. You want to look like Assyria? Good. Assyrians, come. Take my people because they want to be like you. They don't want to be like me. To the point God finally says, leave Ephraim alone. Because he's joined with idols. A point will come, God says, when I will tell the church to leave the church alone. Because they have joined with idols. Because this whole world is one big massive idol. The world system is a creation of idolatry. Understand that. So this is the process. Salvation is a process. It begins with Jesus. And it begins with him coming inside of us. His life. When his life comes, I start seeing. The difference with people who are excited by the word and preaching, but they're still standing outside the kingdom and they look in and they hear the message. Wow, wow, wow. But when they go in, they forget because the world takes it away immediately. But the person to whom Christ has come in and Christ is growing, his excitement is different from the person who is excited from looking outside. Understand scripture. Understand how these things work. Because we don't, we don't see. That's how the church has been. See, I have no issue with the world because I have nothing to do with the world. My issue is always with the church. I never preach to the world. To the world, I have only one message. Repent and believe. To the church, I have a lot to say. Because Christ has a lot to say to the church from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. It's written to the church and not to the world. Every advice, every promise, every warning, everything is to the church, not to the world. Only when the world gets into the kingdom or the person in the world gets into the kingdom, the Bible becomes a living book for him. They are not asked to live by the Bible. They are not. So, People were talking about the Supreme Court verdict, three section, three seventy-seven, two seventy-seven, whatever. Homosexual. Does it bother me? I said no. It doesn't bother me at all. Why? It doesn't bother you. I said no. Why? Homosexuality has been there from immoral times in the world. That is all part. Only thing it was hidden has come out. But that's exactly the way Jesus said things would happen in the end, right? So why should it bother me? My issue is not that homosexuality is legalized in the world. My issue is that homosexuality has been legalized in the church. That's my issue. It didn't begin in the world. It didn't begin in the Supreme Court in in India. All the precedents they are quoting has come from Christian countries. By scientists from the Christian nations, psychologists from the Christian nations, from churches which ordain great clergy and bishops. My issue is not with the world. I have no issue with the world. My issue is with the church. Because the world sees only these as rights. Gay rights, abortion rights. True. In the kingdom of darkness, these are all rights. God says, this is what you want. A time is coming, I will give you all that I ask you. He who restrains now will be removed and the lawless one will be allowed to manifest and you can go have all your rights. Then you will realize what my kingdom and the other kingdom was. It is true. No issue. I have no issue with the world by any ruling. I have no issue. Because this is a question of light and darkness. And the problem is, 
you have to understand no people were saying did you see ah, all the ola and all the uber have got rainbow on it poor driver has no clue at all the bosses who control from the top are all part of the illuminati freemason system all of them are part of the kingdom of darkness actively working with them and for them so they sent out an order the poor fellow put a rainbow but it is very interesting that the very people who are angry with the god of the bible because he is the one who said the sodomite will not enter into the kingdom of god they still need his word and his covenant to legitimize their sin because rainbow was the covenant between god and noah saying i will never again destroy the whole world by flood absolutely true you can put the rainbow because he said i will destroy this world by fire no longer with with water you can put it up absolutely true your sign is true he's not going to destroy the whole world with water he's going to burn it up because water won't do the work the second time absolutely but what i'm saying is you see this they are against the god of the word but they need the word of that god to legitimize their sin that's how the guilty conscience works so don't get upset because they have to put it across all has rights rights right i find it very funny all these rights people oh one beetle is there in this somebody's yard oh it has to be national protected territory because we have to save the beetle but you can kill all the babies in the womb that's our right pro choice abortion right i have to save the beetle kill my child warped mentality one of the first preambles of that constitution is a right to life but the baby has no right because you have become very scientific now it's just a piece of tissue light and darkness children light and darkness that's what we are looking at so pause prayer for the church for those who are saved we looked yesterday what is it efficiency 1 18 and 19 this is my prayer the eyes of your understanding be enlightened he says i hope hope your your, your mind you no know, has eyes your spirit has eyes i pray your vision will increase that the eyes of your mind your understanding being enlightened you will know what is the hope of his calling do you know that you have a calling child of god do you know you have a calling Do you know what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance? Do you know you have an inheritance? Do you know you have a possession? Will your eyes open that the real world is not this? The real world is that is coming in that world. According to that world, you have a calling now. And in that world, you have an inheritance. And for that, do you know what is the exceedingly great power of those who believe? Do you know the power that is released into your life to fulfill that calling and inherit your possession one day? Why are you running like a dog after a car in this world? You know the different you know the dog chasing cars? You know that illustration, right? The dog he runs after the car. But supposing you stop the car, open the door, get out the driver's seat and tell, "Okay, you chase now, take the car." What is he going to do with the car? There's so many people running after the world. God says, okay, I'm going to stop the world and give it to you. What are you going to do with it? It's going to go into the fire one day. What are you going to do? Go with it? Foolish fellow, don't you know the hope of your calling? 
Don't you know your possessions, your inheritance for eternity? Don't you know the exceedingly great power of God released, available for you? Do you know? Are your eyes open? That's the question. Can you see? Because you cannot possess anything that you do not see. Right? All the children who are, have seen a dream, I want to be an engineer, I have to be a doctor, and they have seen doctors and engineers in the world, and now they saw something in their mind. And they are struggling to possess it. You don't possess anything which you don't see. And the problem is, believers have been blinded very subtly by the enemy with the world again. So you are saved, you are going into an eternity, and you are chasing a shadow. This world is a shadow. It's passing away. It's passing away. Do you see? Do you see the difference between the material, physical world and the spiritual world? Do you see the difference? Are you able to notice the difference? Do you believe the word of God? I see. I see. One thing I notice about myself is this. It doesn't matter what I do. My eyes are growing weaker. My ears are growing weaker. My teeth are growing weaker. My body is growing weaker. If it's true about me, it's true about all of us. We may not accept it. It is true. You can eat the best kosher meal. You can exercise like Atlas. But it is like putting food in the fridge. After some time, that also will go bad. You can stop corruption for a little time. You cannot stop corruption for all time because it is written... So that sins shall die. Soon as God told Adam, if you eat, you will die. Everybody died. It's a question of only when. It's not a question whether. Some may live 50, some may live 60, some may live 100, some, but everybody dies. So what is a symptom? So look into my mirror. I see all the instruments of a body are progressively growing weaker and weaker, and weaker. And is that what I'm running for? Because everything in this world is connected with this body and body alone. When my body is going weaker, and weaker, and weaker, what am I running after the world for? If I live till 80 or 85, my teeth fall up, I will be ultimately drinking soup, dreaming, dreaming meat. What am I running after? Like I told, if I run after the world, I'm more like, I'm just like the dog chasing the car. What am I going to do? On the contrary, what about my spiritual? That's the question. The spiritual reality is different. Am I seeing better today than before? Am I hearing better today than before? Am I spiritual teeth stronger today that I can not only bite on the meat of God's word, I can crunch a few bones also? Is that true? That is the reality I want to run after because in the spiritual, I realize there is not corruption, there is progression. In the natural, all I see is corruption. So Lord, I don't want to run in the natural, I want to run in the spiritual because there is hope here. There is no hope here. 
That's what the Bible says, Paul says, if only in this life we have hope, we are the most miserable of men. And I'm telling you in this world, the most miserable of people are saved people. You know why? Because the unsaved man enjoys the world because he doesn't know its end. The saved man knows the world is ending, but he's still, and he's always with guilt. He's miserable because you knew you were created for eternity, saved for eternity, but you're running for the temporary. You're the most hopeless man of all. I was not saved for this world. I was saved from this world. That's what 2 Corinthians 4.16 says. In this life, yeah. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. The question is, what if the outward man is perishing? Not what if, you know it is perishing. What if the inward man is not being renewed? That is a dangerous thing for the believer. The unbeliever has no clue with this. But ask this question. My outward man is perishing. I see that every day. But my inward man is also perishing. That's why God said, be hot or be, go to the world, have a blast and die. If you want, I'll send you some money also on the way. But you want to walk with me, be hot. Don't be lukewarm. Because outwardly and inwardly you will perish. That's a miserable. At least some of the people sitting in hell upset can say, I had a blast while I was on earth. The rich man who say, I am thirsty, but he can also think, oh, how much wine I drank. Imagine the poor man reaching hell and say, I didn't drink there, I can't drink here. That's what God is saying. Spiritual reality and physical reality. Do you see? Can I see better? Can I hear better? Question is, if the eyes of my mind are enlightened, what do I see? What did I see? What do you see? In the book of Philippians, Paul will say this in chapter 3. Not that I have already attained, I am already perfected, but I press on that I may hold, lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. He realized, you know what? I have a purpose. My salvation is not random. My salvation is exactly like every act of God with purpose. My salvation is also with purpose. Christ Jesus laid hold of me for a purpose. And I'm running for that. Brethren, I do not count myself have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the price. Ah, there is a price. There is a Like I told you, you know, I've told that example when I was in school with my parents who never gave me first in all the papers, irrespective of what I wrote. Then my mother said, you score in the board exam, I give you my watch. Can you imagine for a 12-year-old kid, 11-year-old kid, what a watch can do when the town has only one watch? Two watches. My dad had a watch, my mother had a watch, nobody else had a watch. Oh, that watch brought motivation like nothing else. That was the price. I ran like nobody ran. And I scored the top in every subject except the national language. And I got my watch. And like I said, I walked like this for many days. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> I got a crown. Is this mine? God said, yeah, it's yours. Is this really mine? Yes, it's yours. I'm not going to take it away, son. It's yours. He says, for the price, the upward call of God, not stationary. Not horizontal, not down, 
upward call of God. Do you see the price? Can you see the price? The question is, what did he see? That is the key. Real key is this. What is the key? Because you know what? Telling you, this is what has happened to the church, how the devil infiltrated and changed the minds of the people. You see, if I were to tell Hepzibah, Hepzibah, you really pray and you really study the word and you really walk with God, I promise you, I will give you a bike when you turn 18. Okay? How long is the bike going to move? You mean after class 6 and class 7, class 8, class 9, I've studied for a watch? No. Watch cannot motivate you for too long. You have to be given something bigger. Are you getting? If God were to promise, if you were to run your race because you are being promised heaven, a house in heaven, and all the amenities in heaven, the devil can provide that on earth too. You got a wonderful house. You got all the stuff you want. The strategist says, what is this race? That's how the prosperity gospel got into the church and blinded the eyes of the people. But there, nobody is running for the race because they don't know what the price is. What is the price? What does Paul say in 3.8? Yet indeed, I also count all things lost. I was telling yesterday the pastors, in life we always think in terms of loss and gain. If there is not gain, we will not be willing to look. If MSET or uh, IIT entrance and becoming an engineer from IIT is not gain. You will not be willing to suffer loss by getting up at 5 in the morning, 4 in the morning, slogging for 18 hours. All that, everybody who works 12 hours, 13 hours, 14 hours, 18 hours is not because you love your company, because you love the money the company gives. And it's fine, it's fine. Because they also know that if there is no gain, there is no loss. You will not be willing to forsake these things if they don't offer you something. So you look at that, yeah, this is bigger than that. I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. That's not enough. That's not enough. There are a lot of theologians, believers with the incredible excellence of knowledge of Christ Jesus. For whom I have suffered the loss of all. Those theologians will sit in their house and they will write book after book. They are alive, neck above and dead below. Because Christ cannot move them. And I count them all rubbish that I may gain. Ah, gain Christ. It's not heaven. Like the preacher who said, a lot of people would be able to be happy to go to heaven and if they don't meet Jesus there. Because their heaven was never connected with the person of Jesus Christ. It was just an escape from the hell here and heaven there. He said, I'm running for a price. And the price is Christ. Possession is you. Do we see life that way? You see what the devil did? How he infiltrated the church and changed our focus from things, from Christ to things. What did Jesus say in Mark 4 and verse 19? What happens? And the cares of this world, the deceitful of riches, and the desires for other things entering choke the, this is the word of life, and it becomes unfruitful. It chokes. But what if it is connected with a person? That's why, why do you think the Bible records stuff like that? Here is Jacob in Haran. Here is in Laban's house. 
He meets Rachel at the well. He looks at her. He falls in love with her and he loves her from his heart sincerely. And he's willing to work 14 years as a slave in his uncle's house to get her. And scripture says, because of his incredible love for her, those years look like a few days for him. Who are you, Jacob? The rich, the son of the richest man in Canaan. And who's your uncle? Who's this girl? That's my uncle's daughter. And you're willing to work 14 years for her? Yes. Is every day a drudgery? Yes. Are you getting anything out of it? No. Are you being paid any wages? No. What are you? A son-in-law. Are you treated like a son-in-law? No. What? What are you treated like? A slave. And why are you going through this? Because I love that girl. If you don't love Jesus, everything is burdensome. Price is him. It's not the place. It's not the home. That is the reason why Jacob's love for Rachel is put over there as a paradigm, as a, as, as a metaphor to us, because that was Christ's love for the church. Church is like Rachel, but Christ loved the church. Jesus, you are the Son of God, God Almighty from heaven. How do you find living in Nazareth? It's cocaine. 30 years? Fine. Haven't you left your glory, your splendor, your comfort, everything? Yes. Aren't the people who are going to come after you in the next 2,000 years going to enjoy comfort like you never will? Yes. It doesn't bother you? No. Why? Because I love my church. I love my church. Unless we see it that way. That's the difference. See, this riches, things, All this has not, we don't see them as distractions. We see them as attractions. We don't see this as distractions. A believer is clear in the mind. He says, you know what? This dude I've heard and read in the Bible, my God has told him is very chalu. If he cannot, he will try to distract you with what is attractive in heaven, in the world. I will not be distracted. I will not lose my focus. That's the difference. (laughs) The church in US and the church in China. Why is the church in US so compromised? Why are they so fearful? You know why? Because they build these structures. And these structures to run around in US, you need more and more. They put all their money into the building and not into the people. And in US, the thing is that churches are tax exempt. And if you speak against the system and against the government, there is a very unclear clause where they can take your tax exempt status off. So most of the preachers have been compromised because they know, oh, this building costs a million dollars. We have constructed it all. If you lose our tax exemption, then we don't have the money to pay taxes because in US, you are taxed like crazy. If you breathe, they will tax you. You know why? This choked the word. So when all these new rites which are called as sin in the Bible came, they shut up and legitimized all that in the church. Church in China has no buildings. They gather in secret. They get beaten up. They get arrested. They get killed. Has they changed the world? No. They're growing more and more and more and more that the man is terrified. He doesn't know what to do with the church. Because the number of people in the underground church is more than the communist party. 
need to understand we lose our focus unless we see in terms of gain and loss. Christ is gain. Do we see that gain? I'm telling you, if you are not connected to the person called Jesus Christ more and more each day, see, you may fall. That's not the point. David fell. Why did you, why did he spring up every time? Because he was connected to the person of God. He loved God. And God was very upset with him. Very upset with him. Why was God upset with David and not so upset with Saul? I said, I don't want to talk to that fellow. But with David is, he said, he was so upset. You have to really read it in our modern day language what God actually told David. He said, you picked all these women, women, women. I kept on quiet because kept on. Then he went and picked another man's wife. Bathsheba. He was so upset. He actually tells in our modern crude language, if you wanted women, I would have given you all the concubines of Saul. Why did you break my law and take another man's wife? Because you are my kid. I know you love me. I know you love me. And I love you too. See, only those whom you love and who loves you back have the power to hurt you. Others don't have that. Your wife says something unkind, you carry it through the day. Somebody on the road while you were going shouted something at you, you're carrying it with you all the day. You don't know that fellow. He got irritated, but you forgot. You forgot who he was. You know, everybody doesn't have the power to hurt you. Everybody doesn't have the power to hurt God. Only those he loves and only those who love him back. Understand that. Don't lose your focus. Don't lose your focus. In 2 Corinthians 4, 13, 18, sorry, this is what scripture says. So we fix our eyes. Fix. 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 I wish God had given me the authority of Nehemiah. I would have pulled some beards and some heads and said, walk like this. Fix. Fix your eyes on what is unseen. Not on what is seen, that's this world, on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. Stomach for the food, food for the stomach, both will be destroyed. Now shall we add to that Pastor James version? Add addition. Clothes for the body, body for the clothes, both shall be? Shoes for the feet, sandals for the feet, both shall be? Earrings for the ear, ear for the earrings, both shall be? You get it? You have to keep adding. Then only you, according to your taste, you have to add. Get it? Fix your eyes on what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. When you would die, even if they put you in a tailored from Bond Street suit and a $20,000 gold rimmed coffin, it makes no difference to that dead body. Makes no difference. Once you're dead, you are dead. It's gone. Makes no difference. Children, come back to Christ. Fix means to focus. I was telling the pastors yesterday, actually when God, okay, children are born in sin, iniquity, but have you noticed children were always born with focus? When the child is hungry, and we go, you know, we are not focused. So what do we do? We will distract because you want to watch our favorite time. Cha, this baby is crying at 12.30. That's my favorite cereal. Okay, tang, 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 tang. you're distracting with the rattle while you're watching. 
The child is focused, I want my milk. You are not focused. So from the beginning, what do we teach the child? How not to focus. How do we feed in Indian mothers? How do we feed the child? Take it around. Oh, chidiya. Oh, this thing. What are we teaching? Thou shall not be focused. How shall not be? Focus. Scripture says, be focused. Fix your eyes on things that are not seen. In Hebrews 3 and verse 1, scripture says, therefore holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts. Your thoughts on Jesus. Nobody has to tell any boy or girl to think about their boyfriend or girl automatic. Once in a while, five minutes they will sigh also. You know who they are thinking of. (laughs) But sitting in church, hearing the message, I don't see anybody sigh. Say, look, when will this finish? Because your mind, your thoughts are not fixed on. Fix your thoughts on Christ Jesus, the apostle and the high. I'm not getting into that part. Hebrews 12 and verse 3. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I asked the pastors. Who for, he also saw something. He saw the joy before him. He's here. Imagine the pulpit is the joy. He saw that and he endured the cross. The shame, the, the agony, the scorn, Everything of the cross he endured because he saw something. What did he see? What he did not have before? A bride. That's all. He saw the church. His wife. That's all. He looked at her. Like Jacob looked at Rachel. And said, yeah. She's spiritually ugly. She's all that. But I love her. I love her. And I'm willing to go through the cross for her. He saw something. The question is, do we see something? How do we see life? If you see life in terms of Jesus Christ, everything is gain. Everything is gain. Everything is gain. Everything is gain. Even death is gain. People ask me, are you afraid of death? I said, no. I'm afraid of the pain of death. Why am I afraid of death? How? How come? How come you don't love your wife? I do. Don't you love your children? I do. Don't you love your church? Yes. But you don't mind dying? I said, I don't. Because there is somebody I love more who is waiting on the other side. And that love, in the light of that, everything else is negotiable. Everything else is negotiable. That's the only way you will finish your race. There is no other way you can finish your race. That's why the saint sang, he is the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He is the lily of the valley. Whatever that is, those are all love songs because they saw the beauty of his person. And they said, you know what? Life was all about him. It was all about him. It's not about. That's why we have to come to the core of the gospel. It's not about you and me. It's about him. Colossians 1 verse 15 and 16. He is the image of the invisible God. Can you imagine? God is invisible. Christ is visible. That's why Christ came in the flesh. He's the image of the invisible God. If you don't love Jesus, you can never love God. God is invisible. He made himself visible in Christ. 
the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things were created through him and for him. By him, through him, for him. The eye-opener. The universe doesn't revolve around me. It revolves around him. Therefore, let me also revolve around him. It's not about me. It's about you. That's what this creation is all about. It's about him. By him, for him, through him. I will change your mind. In Colossians 1, 26 and 27, scripture says this. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Mystery. Christ is a mystery. I'm just looking at my phone notes. I write stuff on my phone. I'm learning. Okay, You are attracted to what you are exposed to. If you are not exposed to Jesus, you will not be attracted to him. Remember, after everybody had left on Resurrection Sunday morning, Peter is gone, John is gone, tomb is empty, and she looks at Jesus, she cannot recognize him, so she asks him, have you seen Jesus? She refused to go. Have you seen Jesus? Christ is a mystery. Paul says, marriage is a mystery. For most people, marriage is a misery. But Christ says, Paul says, marriage is a mystery. Why? Marriage, the illustration, why is it mystery? It's your relationship with God. Do you know children who have read mystery novels? Every page is exciting, you're waiting. That's life with Jesus. It's a mystery. Marriage with Jesus is a mystery because every day is a revelation of the beauty of the person. It's a mystery. Do you see him like that? Do we see him like that? That's what scripture says in Ephesians 1 and verse 19. The incredible power of God. What is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? Power is there. The only thing that can bring that power into my life is faith. Do I believe? Ultimately, you end up from here. You heard for one and a half hours. But the question is not what you heard. The question is, do you believe? Do you believe? Faith comes from hearing. And hearing from the word of God. Do you believe? If you don't believe, even if Christ were to come and speak, it would make no difference. In Mark chapter 11 verse 24 concerning prayer, Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe. All the prayer in the world is powerless without faith. To believe, you should have heard. You, I cannot ask for something and believe if I have not heard first. That's why I said much of prayer is in silence, hearing. If you study your word, you spend time with God, God will tell you certain things. And then when you pray for these things, you are able to believe because it's connected with a promise which he has given you. Scripture says, I watch over my word to perform it. Otherwise, it's just monotonous religious institution called prayer. There is no faith in it. 
In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Scripture says, When I came to you and I preached to you as servant of God, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in those who believe. Those who work in belief. That's the faith we preach. There's incredible power of God towards those who believe. Will you believe? You know, one of the, we were talking yesterday from Hebrews 11 and verse 1. We are talking about faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Faith has evidence, faith has substance. Malayalam has an incredible word called kanibhavicha vishwasam, meaning vishwasam has substance can feel it, literally feel it. can literally experience it. That's faith. It is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. And one of the primary, we looked at different things yesterday. You can listen to the message. But something which the Lord always opened my eyes. One of the most liberating things God opened my eyes to concerning faith always was James 1 and verse 21. Receive with meekness, the implanted word. Receive with meekness. Faith comes from hearing from the word of God, but receive with one of the most fundamental substance faith needs to have is meekness. Why? Why is it so? Because faith ultimately is completely trusting someone else. And if you are not meek, you cannot trust somebody else. That's why Jesus said, be like a little child to enter in the kingdom because the little child are meek. They trust their parents. And that's a substance which you need to make your faith real. Because you're trusting somebody else. That's why we lift up Jesus. We show the character of Jesus. We show the person of Jesus. We saw the sacrifice of Jesus. And God says, If you can't trust him, you can trust nobody. But I need something to trust him. I need meekness to trust him. Meekness is something which you and I can know whether we have it or not. That's one of the substance. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8, scripture says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. Do you realize this man was meek? Abraham, where are you going? I don't know. Then why are you going? Because he told me. Who told you? God. God told you? Gods don't speak. You only give them flowers. They don't speak. No, my God speaks. And he told me to go. And where are you going? He didn't tell me that. I believe him. Where are you going? I don't know. And you will go? Yes. Why? Because I believe the one who told me. If you believe the person who told you, then he can go wherever he takes you. For that, you have to be meek. You have to be meek. He was an incredible meek man. In verse 9, scripture says, 
And by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham, who are you? Uh, <coughs> people say I am the rich, one of the richest, if not the richest. You're one of the richest? Yeah. Are you strong? Yeah, I defeated once five armies. Really? How many servants you have? I don't have to ask Sarah or Elias. I haven't counted. And where do you stay? I live in a tent. Why? Because he told me. You haven't built a house? No. But I heard your nephew built a house. Yes. Why didn't you build a house? Because he said no. And do you stay in one place? No. Why? Because he said keep on moving. Can you live like that? The kingdom of God on earth was established by the servants of God who were like Abraham. They moved when he God told them to move. They did not have any permanent establishment on earth because they knew they were a son, a daughter of Abraham. And they lived in tents. Tense is talking about temporariness of this passing world. And to accept it, you need to be meek. Your faith needs to be meek. The incredible power of God is flows into your life. Nobody could touch Abraham in all the days of his life. Nobody could touch Isaac all the days of his life. Incredibly meek man. You tell me to stop? I'm stopping. What do you see? Famine. I will stop. What do you want me to do? Sow your seed. I will break the ground, sow my seed. Oh, I dug. I got well. It's our well. Take it. Essek. He dug well. He got water. It's our well. Take Sitna. He dug it. Why? Because I know my God. Can you move? And give away what you value? Meekness will be tested. That's how he moved. That's how he has touched the lives of thousands upon thousands of servants of God from that time. They looked at Abraham and said, if he could move, I can move for God. Because sometimes your act of faith will start a chain reaction among others. But God is waiting for the first one who will move. Do you remember the woman with the issue of 12 years of blood? She had finished all her money and she had lost her strength and she had gone to all the doctors. And then by faith, she crawled and she touched hem of his robe. And everybody, Jesus said, come. Who is it? Come. Testify. She stood before the crowd and testified. It is me I did. God said, go, daughter. Your, your faith has healed you. The word spread. What does scripture say in Mark? Or whatever is that? Mark 4.19? Matthew 14.36 And the crowds, they begged him that they might only the touch the hem of his garment. As many as touched it were made perfectly well. You know, one act of a woman set off a chain reaction. That's what God is talking about. To everyone sitting here, God says, there is one act you will do in life which will be unique to you, which the Christ in you will do. It will set off a chain reaction. Will you believe me? Will you believe me? So that others can be healed. Like Abraham set off. Why? Why? Verse 10. He waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He saw the unseen. Therefore, this tent didn't bother him. And the the taunts of the people did not honor him. The scorns of the people did not bother him because he saw something in the unseen realm. A city whose foundations and builder was of God. Verse 11. 
By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. How old are you, lady? 90. What are you? I'm expecting. What did you say? What did he say? You're expecting? Yes. Why? Because the one who said is faithful. I'll take him at his word. I'll take him at his word. She knew the new covenant before any one of us knew. Anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will not be put to shame. I will not be put to shame. I believe him. I I trust him. Because the one who said is faithful. Do you believe? Do we? The invisible power of God available to those who believe. Verse 17 and 19. By faith Abraham when he was tested offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said in Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Did you see the meekness in faith? The substance. The substance. You know why people hear do they believe but they don't obey? Because one ingredient is lacking. See, to make a nice dish, if you take salt out, it doesn't matter how good it smells. It tastes terrible. It's a fundamental ingredient for functioning faith, which is meekness. Meekness. Do we have the faith, the meekness, the obedience, the boldness of Moses? And with that, I will close. Hebrews 11, verse 27. By faith, he forsook Egypt. Not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him. Who is? How? Oh, oh, writer of Hebrews, oh, as an ex-English teacher, I think you need to correct your English. How can you see somebody who is invisible? It's a contradiction. How can you see? The very fact you cannot see him, that's why he's called invisible. But he saw who he is. So, how did you see him? How did you see him? How did you see him? Are you getting the picture? That's how the child of God in meekness walks in faith because you realize my father loves him. My Jesus loves me and I love Jesus. And I look at all the things that are happening in my life as being controlled by a father who has got my life in his hands. One of the most Powerful. We have to look at it. Did I give it to you? Psalm 139. Yeah, is uh, most beautiful verses in the in the Bible. One. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. In your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me when at as yet they were none of them. There were none of them. Even before I was formed in my mother's womb, God had completed the book about me. Every page in my life was written about me because he knew before the foundation of the world, I was his child. So why do I worry? What a liberating scripture. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great the sum of them. Even before I was born, every day of mine was written. Written. Therefore we don't worry. 
Yes, situations will come. Circumstances will come. But every circumstances in a child's life, a God's child, has been ordained by God to shape him, to fashion him or her in the image of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. I read this and it was beautiful. Let's say, uh, let's because this is lime juice, but let's say it's coffee. I am walking with the coffee down. Suddenly, Hepzibah gets up and she bumps into me and the whole thing spilled. The whole thing spilled. Let me ask you this question. Why did I spill the coffee? Why did I spill the coffee? Pardon? Because of Hepsiba. No, that's a wrong answer. I spilled the coffee because what was in the cup was coffee. If it was tea, it would have been tea. I got upset because it was coffee. But what if it was perfume? What if it was jasmine? Every situation in my life is ordained by God to show me what is in me, not the bumps that I faced in life so that I will change or I will grow. God says, don't fault the person who bumped into you because she bumped into you. You know who you are. Otherwise, you would have never known. And I have a plan and a purpose for you. You are angry. So when she bumped into you, your anger came out. Don't get angry with her. Instead, get angry with yourself and get rid of it. Understand. Abraham would have never known what a coward he was until famine came into the land. When famine came into the land, he realized, this is what I am. Oh Lord, he comes out to Egypt and says, Lord, have mercy. I sold my wife out to protect my life. But he would have never known it unless famine had come. Look at life differently. Because what is coming is what is inside. What is inside. The shaking and the bumping is irrelevant. If what is inside of you is Christ, Christ will come out. If what in inside of you and me is darkness, darkness will come out. But if it is Christ in me, and if it is Christ, or you can take him, beat the literally the life out of him. Back is broken. He cannot even carry the cross all the way. He is nailed and put on the cross. The whole world has shaken him. But when his mouth opens, what comes out is what is inside. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Because that's what was inside. That was what was inside. Every situation in our life for God's own people. That's why scripture says, all things work together for the good of those who love Christ Jesus and call according to his purpose. Because if these bumps in life don't happen, you wouldn't know who you are. Because then you will know whether it is Christ in you, the hope of your glory, or whether it is you destined to darkness. It's Christ is new, who is the hope of glory. So two disciples later, beaten black and blue, stripped naked, thrown into the prison in the midnight hour, chained and legs put on stock. And what came out of them was thanksgiving and praise. Because what was in them is what came out when they were bumped. Simple. Because we are running a race. The price is bigger than you and I all can think about. The price is Christ himself. 
He who has the son has everything. He who in overcomes, inherits all. What is this all? You're going to get a hall of heaven? No, you're going to get the prince of heaven. Because everything was made by him, for him, and through him. He who gets the son gets everything. The price is Christ himself. We don't see that. And it doesn't change and define our life. Nothing will. So put your eyes on things that are unseen. And not on things that are seen. Because the things that are seen are temporary. Things that are unseen are permanent. Like I said, we need education. The discipline of education. Don't make it into an idol. We need clothes, good clothes. Don't make it into an idol. We need money. Money is useful for a lot of things, but don't make it an idol. Don't make anything that is seen into an idol, even your husband or your wife or your children. Because God, from the beginning, has been idol breaker. Things that are unseen. Hallelujah. Are you tired? I am not. Come, let's stand up. Father, we just want to love you, Lord. First, we just want to say, Father, we just love you. We just love you. We just love you, Lord. How can we not love you, Father? More we hear, the more we see, the more we know. All we can say, Lord, thank you, Father. Truly, Lord, as the songwriters wrote, a thousand years and ten thousand tongues in eternity won't be enough to thank you. When faith becomes sight that day, when we beheld, we behold your glory and your amazing love and the beauty of your person, words, heaven will not have enough words, O God. But today with the words that you have given us and the strength that you have given us, we just want to lift up holy hands and bless you. We just want to say, Father, we thank you. We just want to say, Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you, Lord. We are here in the ninth month. You brought us through, Lord. Nine, eight months. We are in the middle of the ninth month. All we want to say, Lord, open the eyes of our heart. Enlighten the eyes of our understanding that we may see the hope of your calling. Incredible calling, Lord. And we see the inglorious inheritance of the saints. That Christ himself is the hope of our glory. And we are able to see and receive the incredible power towards those who believe. Every situation we may face in life, including death, your power is available to face it. Help us to believe. And when we reach the bumps in our life, when you shake us, help us to observe carefully. What comes out of us? Because for those who are perishing, scripture says, we are the aroma of Christ. And I pray, Father, out of us, it's the aroma of Christ alone that will come. Help us to grow. Help us to be focused. Help us to, Lord, daily surrender. I surrender the church into the hands once again, all of us, Lord. And I pray that you would bless us. You would keep us. You would empower us. You would guide us. And Father, we would stop sitting on the fence. Because you hate fence-sitters. Set our hearts on fire for you, Lord. A fire that is lit from heaven and not on earth. 
that no fire, no water, nothing of earth can blow it away. Set us on fire from above, Lord. Because you saved us from eternal fire. Now, Father, set us on fire that we may blaze forth the glory of the living God. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We give you glory, honor, power, and praise. It's all yours and yours alone, Lord Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.